0: Later in the day, you know, he stopped around to get the accolades. He walked in and he looks around and there's no flowers anywhere. And uh, he said, hey, uh, didn't you get my flowers? He said, I got them. Where are they? She said, in the back room. I'm not going to put those things out here. He said, well, what do you mean? I paid a lot of good money for those flowers. Could I, could I see them? And he went back and here's a big bouquet of gladiolias and all kinds of sprays. Across it said, rest in peace. He said, oh my goodness, that's not the flowers I sent. Um, could I use the phone? And so he calls up the florist and he said to the florist, you've embarrassed me terribly. You sent a bouquet of flowers out here and said, rest in peace. And the florist said, what did it say? And he said, you think you've got problems. Someplace else in this town in a funeral parlor, there's a bouquet of flowers that says, good luck in your new location. It wasn't his responsibility that somebody blew it, however, sometimes it is our responsibility when we blow it, isn't it? When we fall flat on our face, have you ever had that happen to you? No. Yes, you have. And how do you deal deal with it when you fall flat on your face? What happens? How does God look at it? Well, in Psalm 37 this morning, there's two little verses that have really blessed my heart through the years. They've been great comfort to me. I remember when I was uh, first approached about uh, coming to the church that I was pastoring in suburban Philadelphia. I was there for 17 years. And I was was in a little church up in the mountains of Pennsylvania. We had about 300 in the church, and we had a a great time. But I was the only pastor, and I was approached about... Uh, becoming uh, the pastor of a, of a large church in the Philadelphia area. I was 34 years of age and I, and I was scared to death and I said, how in the world, you know, here's i I'm going into a, a situation with their staff and I've never worked with anybody but volunteers before and uh, they had a, I mean it was a just a new ball game for me. And I remember that these verses were especially precious to me at that time. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He plans them out. And he delighteth in his way. And this good man, this man that wants to follow God, this man that has a heart for God, though he fall, and I want you to know, young people, that there will be times in your life when you fall flat on your face and you know that you've disappointed yourself, other people, and you know that you haven't fulfilled God's plan for you. You've departed out of his way. Notice the next few verse, uh, words, it says, and he for, he shall not be utterly cast down. I think the concept here of a cast down sheep, one that is rolled over on its back, as Philip Keller in his little book the the Shepherd Psalm tells us about, one is not able to help himself, one that is bloated, and unable to roll back on its feet. When you fall, that's not going to be your condition. Why? For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Underneath you, you see, are the everlasting arms. If you belong to Jesus Christ, when you fall, the presence of the Lord is still going to be there. And one thing you have the certainty of, he'll never leave you or forsake you or say I'm finished with you. I like to illustrate this this morning from the life of a young man in the New Testament. His name is John Mark. Now John Mark had one of the most marvelous opportunities. It sort of parallels the kind of opportunity that many of you have here today. You're in a setting where you can see the hand of God at work in the lives of others, and in your own life. You have an opportunity to, in this Christian college, to develop a Christian philosophy of life and an understanding of the reality of things, guided by the, the hands and the minds and the hearts of men and women who love God. Who have themselves gone through many valleys and many mountaintops and have been taught of God. I'm certain that one of the characteristics of the professors, the teachers that are at this institution is that they know the Lord, they know the sufficiency of the Lord, and that they're having personal victory in their own lives in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so these are the kind of people that are helping you and giving the opportunity to you to be able to develop in your life. John Mark had the same kind of opportunity. I remember, as I read in the book of Acts, for instance, let's go to chapter 12 of the book of Acts, if you have your Bible, you find that John Mark's home was a center of activity. Acts chapter 12 and verse 12 tells us that when Peter got out of jail, when the Lord delivered him marvelously from jail, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname is Mark, where many were gathered together praying. He knew where to go, why? Because that's where the center of Christian activity was. There were people there interceding in behalf of Peter. There were people praying there. John had a home that was dedicated to the use of the Lord. People came and went. It was a place where Christians gathered. And John lived in the midst of that circumstance. Many of you grew up in Christian homes that were similar. I grew up in a family of nine children. I was the oldest boy, had three older sisters, five younger brothers. But our home was an activity center. I remember many, many times coming home at night after playing basketball on Friday night. And I'd be off here someplace and I'd get home on Friday night only to find a note there that says, uh, Dick, you're sleeping on the couch tonight. Somebody else is in your bed, you know. Because we entertained people, we put up people, we were involved in the church and I remember people coming in and out of our home, many good Christian leaders I I learned about during those days. It was a tremendous opportunity. John was probably the young man that was in the garden in Mark chapter 14 verse 51 when Jesus was arrested. Many scholars think that the the young man who was there with his tunic wrapped around him and when Jesus was arrested, uh, they went to gather in all these people and and he began to flee and they grabbed his tunic and he unwound in it and there he went through the night naked. Many people think that John Mark was the young man spoken of there. You see, he was in on the ground floor. He also was able to, to observe the persecution. In Acts chapter 11, verses 27 through chapter 12, we, we hear about persecution that was taking place, how that the church there uh, in, um, in Jerusalem was, was under the siege of not only uh, the persecution by the Jews, but they were losing their properties and there was a drought and they were losing their ability to sustain themselves. He knew what it meant to sacrifice in behalf of the Lord. Paul and Barnabas were probably in Jerusalem when Peter was imprisoned. They may have even been in the um, in the prayer meeting there in Acts chapter 12. And they were able to see how this young man was responding and reacting in the midst of those kind of situations. And so we find that in the 12th chapter at the end of of the chapter when they're ready to go back again to Antioch from Jerusalem that Barnabas and Saul decided to take with them this young man John Mark. And he was afforded the privilege of going to Antioch, which was probably one of the most exciting things that was happening in the early church. Antioch was a place where Christianity was beginning to blossom and a local church was beginning to formulate in a marvelous way. Leadership was being trained. You find in Acts chapter 13 that there were leaders there and there were men who were praying and training and, and it, was a, it was a tremendous opportunity for a man to get involved in learning about what it meant to plant a church and see a church grow and, and the life of the church. And he was right in the middle of it all. There he was. And he had teachers like Barnabas and, and Paul. And these were men that were pouring their lives into him. And there he was. And he was responding marvelously. So marvelously that when finally the Holy Spirit in a, in a sovereign way reached down into that midst of that very vibrant church in Antioch and said, I want you to separate me or literally it means apolua. It's a word which we use to divorce, which means in this sense to release from responsibility. I want you to release Paul and Barnabas from their responsibility as pastor teachers here in this church because I have something special for them to do. What a wonderful thing when a church can just take its hands off of its pastor teachers and say it's okay you can go we're all right we've been trained we can be sustained we can grow we can still do what God has for us to do we're not built around a man we're built upon the solid rock the foundation Jesus Christ and so John Mark in the midst of that situation Paul and Barnabas called of God to take the gospel to the Gentiles which was revolutionary And John, whose surname was Mark, was selected by them, according to the fifth verse of chapter 13, to be their helper or their minister, to go and serve them or help them in this marvelous thing. He was a part of that first great missionary journey. Look at the opportunity. Try in your own mind to parallel it to your own. Raised in a home where Jesus Christ was honored. He came from a background that knew what it meant to serve God and to be involved in in sacrificial giving to Jesus Christ. He had leadership who who recognized his potential and reached down and said, come with us. We'd like to train you. He was a part of that first vibrant, wonderful church there in Antioch. And he was selected to go on that first missionary journey to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Talk about being on the cutting edge of what is taking place. That's his opportunity. Unfortunately, there's an offense in this too, there's a failure. Notice chapter 13, verse 13, Paul and his company loosed from Paphras. They came to Persia and Pamphylia and John departing from them returned to Jerusalem. He made a decision to leave. He made a decision to put space between him and the opportunity. He made a decision to turn his back on the potential. He made a decision to go his own way, to do his own thing, to order his own life, to remove himself out from under the tutelage of men who knew what God was doing and were on the cutting edge. And he left the work. He quit. I'm astounded today by how many young men and women who put their hand to the plowshare and have had tremendous opportunity who decide it costs too much I'm gonna quit I deal with pastors all across the country and one of the terrible things about the pastor today is discouragement and disillusionment they come in with shining eyes with great vision only to walk smack up against all of the humanistic society in which we live and how it has pervasively invaded the church. Only to find out that people are more interested in guarding their time than they are in serving God. Only to find out that people have another agenda which is not found on the written pages of the Word of God and they knock their heads time and time and time again against petty oppositions. And willful people. And many times they themselves will fall into the trap of becoming just like the people they're trying to lead. And then they quit. I don't know why John Mark quit. Let me suggest a few things. Was it a difference in philosophy? Listen, this was a revolutionary circumstance that was taking place. Paul was going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. There's a cultural myopic viewpoint that was in the church at that time. It was carefully ex- an extension from the, from the Jewish understanding of how God worked. Evangelism in the Old Testament was implosive. Peter in his book Peter uh, and his book on uh, uh, a biblical philosophy of missions biblical missions, points out that in the Old Testament everyone was brought in to Judaism. They worshiped through the sacrificial system. It was locative in terms of the temple. In the New Testament it was just the opposite. Evangelism in the New Testament is explosive. It goes out into the world, it goes out into the society. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 is something like this. While you are going, you're to make disciples. Where you're living, where you're working, the people you're meeting. While you're living your lives, you're to make disciples. John Mark was in a revolution. And I don't know whether he was able to accept it. He was a very close associate with the Apostle Peter. Peter calls him my son, in the same way that Paul calls Timothy his son. I don't know whether he had some of the hang-ups that Peter had or not. You remember when Peter came down to Antioch, and and there were some people that were trying to push the Judaistic ideas of of their legalistic system on the church, and. And when Peter uh, was there, he was eating with these Gentiles and all of a sudden uh, these people started coming in. He, he got up and he left the Gentiles and went over and he, he didn't eat with them anymore. And you remember how Paul withstood him to face and he said, Peter, that's sin. Maybe it was that John Mark, when they decided to go to the Gentiles, not, not fully understanding what God was doing in this missionary journey, decided that's not for me, I'm leaving. Perhaps he was homesick. I've heard some missionary statistics that are staggering about missionaries who go to the field and don't even last one year because either the wife or the husband is so homesick that they can't function. Perhaps it was lack of commitment. Maybe he didn't realize what this was all about. That when you decide to put your life in the hands of the Lord, that you don't have him submit to you, his plan in triplicate. You don't get to vote on it, is what I'm saying. I personally don't accept the concept that God lets you choose whatever you wanna do and that he has no individual personal design for your talents and your gifts and your future. I just am old-fashioned enough to believe that God's God and that he knows everything that he wants to bring to pass in my life and when I put myself in his hands he's about the task yes he is involved in my decision-making process yes I did pray about who I would marry yes I do happen to believe that in the great providence of God that woman sitting over there my wife is exactly what God wanted for me because we gave ourselves to the Lord at that time to seek out what God was involved in doing in our lives I happen to believe he is involved and I don't even have to to try to explain to you what would have happened if I decided to marry somebody else that's in God's hands too he's not a man that he is confused by my idiosyncrasies personally I think there may be some intimation in the text which gives us another dimension of human frailty that caused him to, to quit. Notice if you go into chapter, if you go back into chapter 12 for instance, that over and over again, if you go all the way back to chapter 11 and verse 30, the whole, it was always speaking about Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. And then in in chapter 13, there's an interesting thing takes place. Verse 7, it talks about a fellow by the name of Sergius Paulus, who called for Barnabas and Saul. He desired to hear the word of God, but Elymas the sorcerer confronted him. Notice verse 9. It's a significant verse in a switch in the order of things here. Then Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. He confronted him. Notice verse 13. Then, what? Paul and his company. I think in this context, you see a switch in leadership. It was Barnabas that went and got Saul to come to Antioch to help him, to establish these people in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them to. Barnabas and Saul, but then it begins to be called Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. And in the sovereignty of God, as he equipped the apostle Paul for the ministry that he had for him, placed him under the leadership of Barnabas, and then in the process of what God was doing, it went just the opposite. And leadership changed. And let me ask you this. Do you know the relationship between John Mark and Barnabas? There's a family relationship. John Mark is Barnabas's nephew. He's, a, he's Barnabas's sister's son. And I personally believe that what you see here, intimated in the text, is that here was a young man. Who was willing to follow his uncle, but not willing to follow that man called Paul. Among young men who couldn't take Paul's leadership style, his dogmatism, his personality traits. So he left when he went home. Now that's speculation but it happens it happens can you picture with me what it might have been like there in the home of John Mark's mother as they're praying diligently and a knock comes at the door and Rhoda goes to the door and says who is it it's me, John she goes back in she says he says he's John and John's mother says it can't be John he's with Paul and Barnabas out there in the wilds of Turkey they're out there doing a word for God it can't be him let me in and Rhoda goes and opens the door and and he comes in and there are the people who are on their knees and they look up and they in wonderment and said John what happened Have you ever had to answer to anyone when you did something you knew was dead wrong? You know what you usually do when you did something that's dead wrong? You try to point the finger at somebody else. Maybe it went something like this. I just couldn't stomach that Paul. You know what he did? He just took the leadership right away from Uncle Barnabas. Do you know what else? That man has a plan to go to these Gentile dogs and treat them just the same way that God has treated us, this special people. I can't take his plan. I can't take his leadership. John, maybe it's of God. Maybe that's what God is doing. How's your heart, John? Where is your heart? You know what else I want you to see here? That whenever we do something like that, whenever we fall flat on our face, whenever we make a decision that's not within this, the sovereign scope of what God is trying or what God is intending to do, it doesn't just affect us. I remember a dear friend of mine who was a president of a, a large corporation and the Lord gave me the privilege of leading him to Christ back when I was pastoring in Limerick, Pennsylvania. And as I began to disciple him, we used to spend some time together and he became a very close friend of mine. One day he said to me, Pastor, he said, I learned something in industry I'd like to pass on to you. You probably already know it. But it is something that's also true in the Christian life. He said, whenever you change something, it never affects just that. Whenever you make a decision in your life, it never can be confined to that little, you know, situation. It always touches the lives of others. This decision of John Mark touched the life of other people. Especially the life of Barnabas. Go with me to Acts chapter 15. Verse 36. Some days after, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go again and visit the brethren in every city where we have preached the word of God. And let's see how they're doing. A wonderful principle of follow-up here. And Barnabas determined. His, His mind was made up that he wanted to give John, whose surname was Mark, another chance. Now that's characteristic of Barnabas, isn't it? It was Barnabas that that was willing to take a chance on Saul of Tarsus and take him in there and, and, and before the the elders in the city of Jerusalem when everybody was scared of him because they knew his reputation it was Barnabas that went to Cyprus and sold what he had and brought it back and he gave it to the, the church the elders and, and the apostles and said here it is whatever you want to use it for it's yours It was Barnabas that they put their hands on and said, I want you to go down there to Antioch and see what God is doing. And the church of Jerusalem sent down to Antioch to see the wonderful revival that was there. And when he saw what was taking place, Acts 11 tells us, when he saw the grace of God operating, he said, keep your eyes on the Lord, a great exhorter. And now he is seeing failure in one that he loves and he says, come on, let's give him another chance. What what does Paul say? No way. And there was a sharp division between Paul and Barnabas. Now, you say, well, who was right in this? The only thing I know is this, that the church came down on Paul's side the man that had been reacting well responding well the man who had been tremendously uh, given this tremendous opportunity because they could see the potential in him when the time came for them to send him again they said no we agree with paul he's not ready you see there's a great danger when we fall on our face we solidify ourselves in self-justification We don't deal with the real issues and we may even change some of the the circumstances in which we are, but we don't let our heart be changed and we don't deal with the sin that brought us to where we are. We don't really deal with that which is deep down in us, which is the sovereignty over our own lives. That's the thing basically that causes us to quit. So Barnabas says I'll take him And he leaves And he goes to Cyprus And that's the last You hear In the New Testament account Of the ministry of Barnabas Ten years go by And the next time we hear of John Mark he's with Peter first Peter chapter five and verse thirteen now before we read that we need to go back to first Peter chapter one because you see let's look to whom this letter is written it's written to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These are the people to whom John Mark would not go. Isn't that interesting? And Peter is writing to them. And in verse 13, this is 10 years later, he says, The church that is in Babylon elect together with you saluteth you, and so doth Marcus my son the young man that wouldn't come now wants to be remembered to you now it's, it's amazing to me that um, he ends up with Peter but really not so remember one of the things that happened in Peter's life he said, Lord, I'm going to stay with you no matter what happens. Other people will leave you, but I'm going to stay with you. The Lord said, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as we. Before this night is over, you'll quit. You'll change your mind. You'll change the direction of your life. You'll demonstrate the sovereignty over your own future. You'll say, I don't know this man you will put distance between me and you you'll turn and you'll warm yourselves at the fire and they'll say weren't you one of them and you'll curse that's what happened Now the Lord didn't tell him all those things but inherent within what he said was the implication you're gonna deny me three times but then he said this listen carefully it goes back to that passage in Psalms when you fall on your face Peter I'm still with you. For he said, Peter, I have prayed for you in order that your faith doesn't fail. That's the commitment of the Lord. And when you are back on your feet, when you've been restored, when you've gone through this tremendous trial, I want you to strengthen the brethren. I want you to take what you've learned and I want you to communicate it to others. I want you to be able to share that valley and the faithfulness of God. And what happened when you remember Peter after the resurrection? I said go tell my disciples and Peter. And how in 1st Corinthians chapter 15 when Paul is recording the post-resurrection appearances of the Lord, he said he appeared unto Peter. Now we don't know the details of that that appearing. We don't know the details of the conversation, but I know the transforming effect of that, con- that conference. I know that a man who was scared to death by a fire stood before a people and declared a mighty sermon in the power of God and 3,000 men came to Christ. I saw a man that was a powerful leader in the early church that was willing to end up on a cross upside down rather than recant. I saw a man revolutionized in his understanding of reality. And he said, Peter, when you've come in that fire of tribulation and you've come out purified, there'll be plenty of people who will need you to testify of the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. So ten years go by. Ten years of anonymity. Ten years we don't hear anything about John Mark. Ten years. I don't know what happened during those ten years. But I do know that he ended up with a man who could help him. He ended up with Peter. I think we should not lose sight of that own dimension of our ministries. Because we learn about the Lord in the valleys. We learn about his sufficiency. We learn about the the applicability of the word of God to real life situations. We learn about the faithfulness of our God who says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. I'm with you always, even in the trauma of the end of this age. There are young men and women over in Saudi Arabia and some older ones too. I learned about a fellow from Wilton, California. who was two months away from finishing his reserve duty and he was 62 he's in Saudi Arabia today learning about the sufficiency of the Lord in the midst of circumstances you can't control Peter I want you to put young men back on their feet I want you to minister and be faithful some of you have been saved a long time and someone will come and into your into your 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 room as your roommate who's been saved a short time how equipped are you at this point in your life to be able to show them the sufficiency of Jesus Christ in the midst of the traumas of their young Christian life how ready are you to take the experiences that God has taught you the reality of the word translated from propositional truth into subjective experience because that's what the Spirit of God is about today he is taking God's truth and filtering it through your experiences and sharing with you that we are not only based upon we're founded upon the foundation of objective truth but objective truth without the reality of a, uh, in our experience is sterile and how equipped are you to do as Peter did Take a young man who I'm sure through ten years of struggle and guilt is now saying to the people he refused to reach, John Mark wants to greet you. Let's see something else. Go with me to Colossians now. chapter 4. The Apostle Paul is writing to believers and he says something significant here. Verse 10, Aristarchus my fellow prisoner salutes you and Mark sister's son to Barnabas touching whom you receive commandments. The implication here, I believe, is that the Apostle Paul had had warned these people about this young man who was not reliable, who had quit in the midst of adversity, who had changed direction and fallen flat on his face. He said, watch this fellow. But now what does he say? If he come to you, what? Receive him. Paul, in Philemon, verse 24, lists him among his fellow workers. And as Paul is ready to finish his course in 2 Timothy, as he's writing a letter to Timothy, his swan song, his farewell, I picked up uh, the master's journal and and was able to read uh, what Chuck Smith had to say before the Lord called him into his presence. And here, 2nd Timothy is a book where Paul is putting down on paper his last words to Timothy. You know what he says to him in 2nd Timothy? He says, send John Mark to me. He's profitable. 180 degrees, right? The young man who fell on his face. 10 years of obscurity put with a man who knew what it meant to be restored is now back in a position of tremendous responsibility in ministry. But you know what's the capstone of it all? What it is that the most joying, thrilling thing that I can think about, God, the Holy Spirit, put his hand upon this unfaithful young man. Personally... I believe he was privileged to write the first account of the life and times of Jesus Christ. The Gospel according to what Mark? Have you given up? Are you biding your time? Are you here against your will? Is your life out of harmony with what you know God wants for you? Have you fallen on your face? Are you ready to quit? Are you ready ready to throw it all in? Is there something that's nagging down deep inside of you because you can't get straightened out? Remember this. God is in the business of putting people who have fallen down back on their feet. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in them. And though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord's hand shall uphold it. Don't move into 10 years of obscurity for this to happen. Get together with one of these people that God has placed right here in this place. Who knows what it means to go into valleys and come out and know the victory of the Lord get together with someone who can open the Word of God and say, I want you to know what God did for me let me share with you some wonderful verses here the truth of God's Word someone who can put you back on your feet someone with whom you can talk and share who can show you the sufficiency of Jesus Christ in the midst of a day and age when everyone is turning everywhere else to get rid of their guilt let God put you back on your feet move you into the kind of future that you need to have my challenge to you today consider what God did for John whose surname is Mark let's pray Lord how wonderful it is to know that you're faithful. now wonderful it is to know that you cleanse us Lord from the inside out and you put us back on your feet our feet and, and give us a future may we say from the depths of our heart Lord open my eyes open my ears